Today's scripture passage comes from 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 3 through 25. Now Samuel had died, and all of Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shenem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams, urims, or prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on, an, put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you distur distur disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am, a, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hands hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you. 
and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he, he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord. Afternoon, brothers and sisters, will you, uh, will you please pray with me? Father, we love you, and we love your word. We thank you that you have given us your word that you might speak to us. As Lord, we pray now, as we turn our attention to your word, that you would give us an ability to tune out distractions, to focus on your word, give us soft hearts, hearts that are receptive to your word. Father, we pray for any among us this afternoon who do not know you. We pray that indeed today would be the day of salvation, that today you would give them life, allow them to be born again by the living and abiding word of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, please take out your copy of the scriptures and turn to 1 Samuel 28. Now, as that story was being read, uh, surely some of you are thinking to yourself, this is weird. This is bizarre. I, by any admission, this is one of the strangest stories in the Old Testament, if not the entire Bible. Uh, and so uh, I feel like I owe you a bit of an explanation here. So... Back at First Baptist, uh, we have been working through the book of First Samuel, and by the Lord's providence, uh, we happen to be uh, up to this chapter, right? So it's not like I'm sitting there in my office on Monday, and I'm like, yeah, I really want to preach a sermon this week about uh, a woman who talks to dead people or something like that, right? It just happens to be where we're at uh, in, in that book. Uh, but as it always happens with the Word of God, right, as I'm studying it, as I'm reading it, as I'm uh, looking into the text, uh, I'm incredibly just blessed by the word. And so my hope is that you will be as well. But also, believing what we believe about a sovereign God uh, and about how he ordains all things, right? this is the word that a sovereign God has for you today to speak to you. Right? We believe that God speaks through his word. And so uh, this is the word of the Lord for you today. So first, let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of context, kind of set up what's going on here. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel is a, is a book of two kings, right? You've got the incumbent king, uh, the, the first king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul. And while he starts off promising, we kind of see in story after story his disobedience to the Lord, his disregard for the word of God. And because of that disobedience, because of that disregard, he is rejected by God. And then you have the heir apparent. You have David a man after God's own heart, and certainly he is flawed in many ways, but he's a man who, in all of his sinfulness, shows a trust and a love for the Lord that we just never see in Saul. Of course, King Saul just will not have the fact that King David, or David, is going to be king after him, and so he is trying for many, many chapters to kill 
David, but he can't. He can't because God is with David. God has anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And so Saul, do what he might, he absolutely cannot touch David. Now, at this point in the story, we find David uh, living amongst the Philistines. It's a spiritually bad decision, but it at least gets Saul off of him for, for a couple of chapters. Uh, and so Saul now gives up the chase of David. But as we turn our attention to chapter 28, Saul's got his own thing that he needs to deal with. And so let's turn now to the text itself. Uh, we're going to go through the chapter through a four-point outline, and all our points begin with the letter S, because everybody loves a little alliteration. Uh, we've got the situation, we've got the seance, we've got the speech, and then we have the supper. And so look along at verse 3 with me. We've got the situation, because the, the author is going to kind of start us off with some uh, preliminary background info to, to set up what's going to happen in this chapter. Verse 3, uh, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, you flip back three chapters to chapter 25, you'll see that exact phrase in chapter 25, verse 1. But here the, the author reminds us of the fact that Samuel is dead, and that's because dead Samuel is going to play a large role in our narrative. Now, continuing in verse 3, Saul had the mediums and the necromancers put out of the land. Now, say what you will about Saul, uh, and certainly uh, 1 Samuel does not portray him in a good light, but we've, we've got to give the man credit where credit is due, uh, because here, as the king of the land, he does exactly what is commanded in the law. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. He cleanses the land of mediums. Say, so what's a medium? Uh, easy. Uh, a medium is someone who used to be an extra large, and they started exercising. No, uh, a medium is someone who... Uh, speaks to the dead or claims they can speak to the dead, someone who claims that they can communicate with the spiritual realm. And so this woman is from the town of Endor. She is described as the medium of Endor. She would uh, consult the spirits uh, on, on behalf of the living in order to uh, reveal the future or, or, or fortune tell or, or whatever it might be. But here's where Saul gets it right. Where God has explicitly prohibited all of that in his law. His people would have nothing to do with it. Flip back real quick to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19.31, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. And under God's law, uh, there was a severe penalty for anybody who would get mixed up in that kind of stuff. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 27. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, their blood shall be upon them. So while we're on the topic, just throw this out there for free. Uh, as Christians, uh, as Bible-believing Christians, uh, we should have nothing to do with the occult, or tarot cards, or uh, palm readers, New Age witchcraft, all that kind of stuff. Like at best, they're scams. At worst, uh, you're, you're messing with demons and darkness and, and all kinds of wickedness that God has expressly prohibited in his word. But Saul, for once, does, does the good thing, does the right thing. He puts the mediums out of the land. So point number one, we've got the situation. Samuel's dead. Saul's put the mediums out of the land. There's one other very, very important piece of background information 
And that's in verse 4. The Philistines assembled and encamped in Shunem. Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the enemies of the Philistines, saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. So if you've got a map in the back of your Bible, you can kind of look along there. But basically, the Philistines are on the north side of the Valley of Jezreel, and you've got the Israelites on the south side. And if you look at where that is on the map, you'll see it's pretty far north. It's much farther north than the usual border of Philistine territory. Uh, that is, they have made significant inroads into the Promised Land, into the land of Israel. And so, basically, Israel is in danger of the Philistines cutting across to the Jordan River and dividing the Promised Land in half. Right? That's how far the Philistines have come in terms of this military quest. And so Saul sees all of this. Saul sees the Philistines, he sees their army, he sees their advanced weaponry, he sees their armor, he sees the significant progress that they've already made into the promised land, and he's terrified. His heart trembled greatly, verse 5. So he's desperate, right? He's desperate for, for some ray of hope, uh, some source of comfort, uh, something, give me some good news. And so he seeks a word from God. Look at verse 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. The Lord did not answer Saul. But why? Well, the answer, the reason why God did not speak to Saul is because Saul had repeatedly rejected God's word. And we see that even in the verse, verse 6. Like, why didn't God speak to Saul through the Urim? Well, the Urim and the Thummim, they, they were attached to the high priest's ephod, and there were ways that God would communicate through the high priest, right, to let his will be known. And it's like, well, why, Saul, why is God not speaking to you through the priest? The answer, for those of you who are familiar with the book of 1 Samuel, is that he killed all the priests. He killed them all. And, and the one that survived, he drove away to David. In clear disobedience to God's word, Saul killed the priests, and that's why God's not speaking to him through the priests. What about the prophets? Well, the major prophet in the book of 1 Samuel, of course, is Samuel. But one thing that we see over and over and over in this book is that Saul does not listen to Samuel. Samuel tells him to wait, to make a sacrifice. That's back in chapter 13. And what does Saul do? He disobeys. He makes a sacrifice himself. Then Samuel tells Saul to uh, completely wipe out the Amalekites. That's chapter 15. And again, Saul disobeys. He disobeys the word of God given through the prophet Samuel, and he keeps alive for himself uh, the best of the animals. And he keeps alive for himself King Agag as a, as a war trophy. And after chapter 15, we're told at the end of that chapter that Saul and Samuel spoke no more and so for years and years and years, Saul knows exactly where he can find the prophet of the Lord. He knows exactly where he can find Samuel, but he never goes to him. Why not? Because he did not want to hear from the Lord. So Saul, the reason that God is silent, the reason that God is not answering you through the priests is because you killed them all. The reason he's not answering you through the prophets is because you never listened to the prophets. You always rejected God's word through the prophets. Brothers and sisters, that's a, a principle we see throughout the scriptures. When people don't listen to God, primarily manifest through their rebellion and their rejection of God's word, 
God may very well stop speaking. He will not allow those who have no desire at all to hear what he has to say anyway to vainly inquire of him. And so it says in Ezekiel chapter 20, God's talking to the, the Israelites who, who are inquiring of him, even though they're clinging to their idols, they're clinging to their abominations. God says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Or wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom says, because I have called to you and you refuse to listen, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Perhaps you're familiar with the words of the prophet Amos, Amos chapter 8. And behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. They shall not find it. Well, that day, that day of famine of hearing the words of the Lord, that day was here for Saul. For many years, he had lived in rebellion and rejection of God's word, never once listening to the priests, never once listening to the prophets, living in rebellion against God and his word, and now God is silent. Saul turned off the lights. Saul snuffed out all the candles. Now he's stumbling about in the darkness. Point number one, the situation. Samuel's dead. Saul's kicked out the mediums. The Philistines are coming, and, and Saul needs help, but God is silent. That's our situation, which brings us to point number two, the seance. Given this situation, given that God is silent, what does Saul then do? Look at verse 7. This is so sad. Saul said to his servant, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. Remember, this is the same Saul who earlier put out the mediums in accordance with God's word. He, he took a strong stand back then, but now he's turning to that which he had previously denounced. Like as soon as Saul realizes that God isn't going to speak to him, he immediately turns to what God has expressly prohibited in his word. And I think that clearly demonstrates his lack of regard for God's word to begin with. Like, so why, why are you bothering seeking God's word if you had plan B all lined up anyway to go against God's word and seek out a medium? So even his, like, seeking the Lord, he's not really seeking the Lord. He's like the guy from James chapter 1, the double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does James say about that guy? That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And here's the thing we have to understand. Right? Saul seeking out this medium, this isn't like ah, a minor infraction of the law, a minor uh, faux pas. Well, we can just kind of overlook this. It's really not that big of a deal. Now, this is, under the Old Testament law, something that would bring the person under God's curse. Leviticus 20, verse 6. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, right, that's what Saul does. 
I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Look at verse 8. Saul disguises himself, goes to the medium of Endor by night. General principle, I'm going to throw this out for free. Right? Anytime you have to disguise yourself and go out at night to do something, generally speaking, it's not going to be good. This is no exception. Look at what he says. Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and necromancers from the land. Oh, why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? She thinks it's like, a, like an FBI sting operation, like some kind of undercover bust here for mediums. Uh, the sad irony, though, this is just amazing, right? Saul secretly goes through this medium. She's got no idea who he is. And so she says to him, you know what King Saul did? King Saul made what you're asking me to do illegal. You know that, right? Like his hypocrisy could not be clearer. This is like the, the, the guys in Romans chapter 2, right? You who ban mediums, do you seek mediums yourselves? But his heart is so hard. Just brushes it off. King Saul, I don't know. But look at verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. That's amazing. Because this isn't Saul just saying, hey, don't worry, like, we can keep this a secret between you and me. No, no one's going to see. Look carefully at the language that he uses. As the Lord lives, Saul swears an oath by the life of of God that no punishment is going to come upon her. And so this is not just Saul as an individual citizen, as an individual Israelite, uh, sinning by going after a medium, although it is that. Because this is also Saul as the king of God's people, swearing an oath by God's life in God's name that God's law doesn't matter, that God's law is going to be disregarded. Because God's law clearly states, right, we saw Leviticus 20, 27, that a medium, a necromancer, deserves the death penalty, right, in that theocracy, it's Saul's job. He's the king. He's God's king. He's supposed to enforce God's law. But King Saul swears in God's name to disobey God's word. This is not just a careless oath. This is not just taking God's name in vain. This is blasphemy against the living God and his word. But Saul doesn't care. He'll say whatever he needs to say to calm her fears so that she will do what he wants him to do. Look at verse 11. Uh, the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. The woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What, what do you see? woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Now, you should have some questions in your mind at this point. Like, what in the world is going on here? What did the medium do? Is this really Samuel? Can mediums really bring up the dead like that? How did Samuel appearing lead to her realizing that it was Saul standing in front of her? How come she can see Samuel, but it seems like he doesn't really be, he can't really see Samuel? Uh, what does Samuel look like here? 
a lot of questions. I'll give you two answers uh, to those questions. Uh, first, I'm going to give you a less satisfying answer, and then I'm going to give you a slightly more satisfying answer. Uh, the less satisfying answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, the, I think the author is intentionally vague about a lot of these questions. Uh, like, as bizarre as the events of this story are, and I think, again, this is one of the most bizarre chapters in the entire Bible, uh, but really, the author only spends a few short verses on what actually happens here. Look at verse 11. It ends with Saul saying, bring up Samuel for me. And then verse 12 begins with, when the woman saw Samuel. And so the author doesn't tell us, like, what did she say? Did she say, like, abracadabra or, like, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo? Like, what, what did she say? What did she do? We don't know. And I think that's intentional. Because the author wants us to pay more attention to the message, what Samuel says, than the mechanics, like how he appeared. As far as the mechanics go, like how he actually came up, the text leaves a lot more questions than it answers. And perhaps that's because too much detail can be unhelpful in arousing a sinful curiosity. So that's a, the, the less satisfying answer. But since I have you here anyway, let me give you a, a, what might be a slightly more satisfying explanation. Uh, I think... And again, because of the lack of details given to us in this chapter, a lot of what I'm about to say is conjecture. But I think, based on how surprised she is at Samuel's appearance, uh, that this woman was a charlatan. Right? Like, she just ran a scam. She's taking people's money to supposedly speak uh, to their dead ancestors or, or whatever it might be. I don't think that this is a case of the medium actually calling up Samuel from the dead. But I do think that this was, in some way, Samuel who appears here, uh, some kind of embodiment of his spirit. The text plainly refers to the being as Samuel, and this Samuel basically says the same thing that living Samuel would have said, that living Samuel had already said earlier in the book, and we'll get to that in, in just a minute. So there's no reason to believe that it's not Samuel himself. And, and maybe the, the closest analog we have to this would be on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You, you've got Elijah, and you've got Moses appearing with Jesus. Now, the argument that most commentators will make that this wasn't Samuel, uh, but instead was like a spirit or a demon impersonating Samuel, is that the spirits of God's people who have died shouldn't be subject to the whims of some demonic medium. And I agree, and that's why I don't think that the medium called him up at all. Rather, I think God sent Samuel to pronounce judgment on Saul, apart from anything that the medium herself does. You look carefully at the text, she doesn't do anything. Samuel just kind of appears out of the blue, and so she's shocked. You say, well, we don't see that anywhere else in the Bible. Yes, but this is a unique event in biblical history, right? This is God pronouncing a final judgment on the first king of Israel. And so in this unique situation, I think God is using a unique way to prophesy judgment. Not all that different from a talking donkey or, or a hand writing on the wall, right? Unique circumstances call for unique forms of judgment. So that's my understanding, my limited understanding of what's going on here. I may very well be wrong, but, but I think the bigger point is that the silence of the text on a lot of these details 
is intentional. We're not supposed to pay so much attention to the method or how Samuel appears. We're supposed to be paying attention to what he actually says. Which brings us to point number three, the speech. Look at verse 15. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. I mentioned this earlier, but what Samuel says here to Saul especially in verses 17 and 18, is almost identical to what Samuel told Saul earlier in chapter 15. And so open your Bibles to chapter 15 real quick and uh, just take a look at verses 26 to 28. And as I read this, you're going to have flashbacks to what we just read because it's the exact same message. This is from 1 Samuel 15, verses 26 to 28. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, here it is, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's basically what he says here in chapter 28. The only really new piece of information is in verse 19, right? As judgment for your rebellion, God's going to give Israel into the Philistines' hands, and you and your sons are going to die. That's new information, but it's really the same principle that God's judgment is going to come upon him and on the nation because of his repeated and consistent rebellion against the Lord. God's word to Saul has not changed. This is a really unique scenario. This is a really unique way for God to reveal his judgment, but the judgment's exactly the same as it was all the way back in chapter 15. It's kind of like what happens in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now the rich man, he's, he's convinced that if dead Lazarus should show up to his brothers, then they would repent. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham corrects him. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Basically, the message that God would give through like dead Lazarus coming back to life, it's not going to be any different than the message they already have in Moses and the prophets. We'll consider our story. Samuel appears to Saul from the dead. But Saul will not be convinced. If you didn't hear God's prophet when he was alive, you're not going to hear God's prophet even when he's dead and he comes back because God's message is always the same. Point number three, the speech. Friends, I think this is an important thing for us to understand, uh, that God's word does not change. Saul wants a new revelation here. 
He's been told over and over that he's in rebellion, that he's in sin, but he wants a new word from God. Uh, Tell me something new. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me something I haven't heard. Say something, Samuel. Samuel's like, I've already told you everything you need to know. It's kind of like when the kid asks mom. Mom says no. So what does the kid do next? Goes and asks dad. Hoping for a different answer, right? And side, 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 side point here. Parents, don't ever let your children do that. Don't ever let your children pit you against each other. Uh, but it's like that. Remember, Saul, he seeks out dead Samuel, thinking maybe, maybe he's going to say something different than living Samuel said. But no, the point here is that God's word does not change. God's judgment does not change. God is not fickle. God is not mutable. God is not, he doesn't change like shifting shadows. His word is final. His word is unchanging. What more can he say than to you he hath said? And so friends, we have God's word and God's will given to us in the scriptures, right? And God's word never changes. That's an important thing for us to remember because sometimes, and I think many of us in this room have been guilty of this, we'll see something in God's word that is plain and clear. I'm not talking about the gray areas. I'm talking about something that is clearly stated in the scriptures, but we don't like it. So what do we do? We'll pray about it. Basically pray for a new revelation, a revelation contrary to his revealed word. We'll just pray about it until... We feel like God's giving us the answer that we actually want, as if God would change his mind, as if God would contradict his own word. Or we'll seek counsel. We'll talk to people about it until somebody that we deem wise and godly enough actually gives us the green light to do that very thing that we were hoping to do anyway that goes against God's word. Or... We'll go out on the internet, and we'll find a sermon. We'll find some preacher who's going to tickle our ears and tell us what we actually want to hear. Again, even if it goes against God's word. But brothers and sisters, God's word does not change. God's word, God's will will never contradict his clearly revealed will in the scriptures. And so the Bible always has to have final authority in the believer's life. Like, where the Bible clearly speaks, that has to have ultimate authority. Not how we feel when we pray. Not what other people might say. Certainly not the sermons that you're going to find out there on the internet. God's word must be primary, must be final, must be the ultimate authority in the believer's life. Fourth and finally, we have the supper Point number four is the supper. Look at verse 20. Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and night. This is a shocking picture. He was once the the mighty king of Israel. All the people put their hope in him. He's a man who started with so much promise. Mighty King Saul is now laying with but a few hours left in his life, flat on the ground, paralyzed in fear, in just total defeat. And we can't help but think as we read this, how did that happen? 
But as dramatic as an ending as that would have been, right? If the chapter ended right there, the chapter doesn't end right there. You got this little final episode, this little supper here in verse 21. The woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and I have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. She put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. That's a puzzling end to the chapter, right? Like, like why does the author cap off uh, this otherwise like bizarre, crazy, and, and unique story with these kind of seemingly insignificant details about a meal? Like, why not just leave this out and end the chapter with the dramatic scene of the king of Israel lying on the ground? Well, look carefully again at their exchange. The woman comes to Saul, and she says, look at verse 21, Since I have obeyed you, and I have listened to what you have said to me, so now, verse 22, you also obey me. And Saul initially refuses, but then he relents, and verse 23, he listened to their words. Those two words, listen and obey, it's actually the exact same word in the Hebrew. And so when you see the same word appear four times in three verses, you as the reader are supposed to pay attention, pay very close attention. And so keep that in mind. Let's look at the one other place in the chapter where we see that same exact word. It's in verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. And so you see that contrast. Saul did not obey the Lord, but he listens to and obeys a medium. He repeatedly does not obey the voice of a holy God who has anointed him king over his people, perhaps most shockingly in this chapter, by consulting a medium against God's law. But now the story ends with him obeying the voice of a wicked necromancer who should, if Saul was obedient to God's word, who should have been condemned to death. And so Saul enjoys his last meal with, of all people, the medium of Endor. This isn't like, hey, look hungry, I got some granola bars here, right? She's killing the fattened calf. She's baking bread. This is a, a lavish, extravagant meal of fellowship. Saul, what are you doing? The king of Israel is eating his final meal with a woman cursed under God's judgment, literally at a table of demons. Friends, the story of the life of King Saul as it kind of comes to its end here in chapter 28 I think it's one of the saddest and most tragic stories in the entire Bible. Man, with so much promise, the first king of Israel will end here in 1 Samuel 28 with the protagonist cursed, alone, 
and forsaken by God. But that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Cursed, alone, and forsaken by God. And so Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Jesus on the cross is forsaken. And not because of his own sin, like Saul, for Jesus had no sin. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. No, Jesus experiences forsakenness for the sin of wretched sinners like me and you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made to be sin. And on that cross, he suffers the full wrath of God in our place. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. While King Saul's story ends in tragedy, Jesus' crucifixion, of course, ends in triumph. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And so he rises again. He defeats sin, defeats death. He ascends to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father forever. So friend, if you place your trust in Christ today, if you repent and believe the gospel, like many of the sinners who've gathered here today have, then you too can be saved. You too can experience eternal life. Brought into the presence of a father who will never leave you or forsake you because you're forever united to his glorious son. If you're paying attention as we went through that chapter, you may have noticed that there's a repeating theme that kind of bridges the entire chapter, and that's the theme of fear. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Verse 12, when the woman saw, saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice in fear. And so verse 13, Saul reassures her, do not be afraid. And then after Saul hears Samuel, Samuel's words, look at verse 20, he falls to the ground. Why? Because he's terrified. So you've got the Philistines, you've got this medium, you, you've got Samuel. There's plenty of things in this chapter that terrify Saul. But there's no more terrifying words in the entire chapter. And maybe these are some of the most terrifying and tragic words in the entire Bible. Look at what Saul says in verse 15. I am in great distress, for God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Like Saul, the Philistines are going to kill you tomorrow. But that's nothing compared to the fact that God answers you no more. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Uh, fear the God who's completely stopped speaking to you because of your rebellion. But here's the really sad thing about this story. Here's the really sad thing. Saul realizes that God's turned away from him, that God answers him no more. And he also learns that tomorrow, 
His soul is required of him. And while all of that does lead him to such fear and despair uh, that by the end of the chapter, he's basically incapacitated. He's a, he's a shell of his former self. He's lying on the floor. There's one thing that we have absolutely no record of him doing, and that's repenting. Samuel tells him, tomorrow you're going to die, which means today you can repent. Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. But instead of going to the Lord in true repentance, instead of crying out all night for the Lord to save him, instead of seeking the Lord while he may be found, what does Saul do on his last night on earth, knowing that it's appointed for him to die tomorrow and after that comes judgment? What does he do? He eats a meal of fellowship at a table of demons with a woman whose life work is an explicit violation of God's law. Friends, the story of Saul is so sad, and it's such a, a vibrant warning for us because Saul is a prime example of someone whose conscience is so seared, whose heart is so hardened, who's so given over to his sin, Romans chapter 1, that he just has no desire to repent. Like the specter of judgment could not be clearer. Uh, the fear could not have been greater but it just goes to show that those things in and of themselves are no guarantee of repentance. So it's not that he couldn't be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Saul could have, on that last night, called on the name of the Lord. It's not that he couldn't be saved. It's that he didn't want to. And so his judgment is just and deserved because God's spoken to him so clearly so many times in such diverse ways, but everything that God has said to him, Saul has silenced and rejected and ignored, and now there's nothing more for God to say. So friends, I, I'm speaking now to those of you in this room and those of you watching from home who are not saved. You're, you're not a Christian, and you know you're not a Christian, but you think, you know, this whole repentance thing, I can get to it later. If you're sitting here now and you are convicted of your sin, like you know that your sin merits an eternity in hell where you're going to suffer the wrath of God for your sin, but you say, you know what, I'm going to get to that later. I'll repent later. But God has spoken to you through his word this afternoon, but you're in effect going to continue to reject it. Well, I think this is the key takeaway for us from this narrative about Saul. That friend is a deadly line to walk. Because if you do that, you're implicitly assuming that God will always continue to speak to you. That God will always rouse the sensitivities of your conscience. But if you continue to harden your heart, if you continue to plug your spiritual ears, if you continue to reject the word of the Lord, a famine of the word of the Lord may be coming for you like it did for Saul. Where you will no longer hear his voice. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If there's even an inkling of conviction right now, 
don't silence it. Because I don't know about the future, but I know that right now, it's not too late. If you've heard the word of God in your heart, and not just heard the words coming out of my mouth, but, but you've heard it in terms of conviction in your heart. You've heard it in terms of the Spirit's work in putting eternity in your mind. You've heard it in terms of your heart still remaining soft to the word of God. This afternoon from 1 Samuel chapter 28, God is still speaking to you. But the Spirit of the Lord will not strive with you forever. Don't take for granted that you will always be sensitive to the Word of God. Don't take for granted that you're always going to want to read your Bible, that there's going to be a desire in you to pray. Uh, Don't take for granted that you will always come back for another week of church, that you will always hear another sermon, that you can always repent later. Don't harden your heart to the point that Saul did, where he cries out. He's helpless, and he's hopeless. He's without God and without hope in this world. Why? Because God has turned away from him and answers him no more. God has said everything that he could possibly say to Saul, but Saul has rejected it all, and so God answers him no more. Friend, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak through your word. Lord, we specifically pray right now for the person in this room who's come this afternoon and does not know you. God, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, we pray that you, through the sovereign act of God, the Holy Spirit, would regenerate their hearts, would allow them to be born again, or that this uh, conviction, whatever conviction they have from this text, uh, would lead to genuine repentance and faith in your Son, Jesus. God, we pray that today you would be delighted to save the souls of sinners, that you might be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.